go live. So it might be live. It's Friday night. I'm it with Andrew live. Wall. Yes, I'm with Andrew Wall and Seth David, and Michael has gone to sleep. <laughs> hey guys, how's your week? How's sure, your week the week going? I show up, he goes to sleep. <clears throat> You've already put him to sleep, Seth. <clears throat> Apparently. Uh, how's your week going, Andrew? My week's been uh, it's been good. Uh, we've got beautiful weather here, which makes it, as always, hard to get work done. But we've had a pretty exciting week. I think I mentioned to you guys before that we've been going through a hiring process. It's doing a lot of interviewing this week, which has been uh, always fun. But we've had some really interesting experiences. So it's been it's been a great week. How about you, Seth? What's new and exciting down south? My week has been spectacular. I have actually, I have a, actually, it has actually been spectacular. I had a, a company I used to be a controller for call me up on like Monday and they were like, our uh, current controller uh, took a medical leave unexpectedly. And um, our director of finance needs help. He understands accounting and finance, but doesn't know how to use QuickBooks. And he and another person there. So they dropped a nice chunk of change uh, with me to kind of jump in, squeeze them in. And I did like six hours of training with them this week. So A, it's always good to know that the company you used to work for has that kind of faith and confidence in you and, and love for you that they would actually rehire you as a consultant. Um, and B, it was nice to get some extra unexpected revenues in. Always. Yeah, it's always a nice perk when they give you a call back, right? I had this one um, experience. It was really interesting. We had this client, our very first negative Google review. Um, years later, called us back and wanted to come back as a client, <laughs> which is you just love that. I mean, you know, that, that feeling when someone realizes um, how valuable you are. And mm -hmm. sometimes it takes them a bit of time to realize that. Um, but it's even better when it's, you know, someone you worked for before and just knows that the guy that they got to go to to get this problem solved is Seth David. Yep. No, and I left on good terms. You know, it was it was just they, I was working almost full time with them. I was technically not full time and I had some side hustles going on. But uh, the time came when I kind of joined forces with a CPA that I over all these years have done a lot of work with since. And he had a bunch of clients to refer to me to get me kind of going on my own. And I just, so I just, that was when I went on my own back in like 2000. Well, I originally started Nerd Enterprises in 2003, went back to, uh, went to work for a client for a few years and then back out again in 2007, I actually restarted Nerd Enterprises. And that's when I actually incorporated the company because I said, this time I'm just doing it. I'm never going to work for anybody else again. Yeah. All in. Mm-hmm. And to piggyback on the, the comment you mentioned on the negative review that uh, it, it sounded like you won them over, it's a win. I think, I think that, I mean, the, I think there's two ways to look at negative reviews. You can look at it and say, oh, screw them. They don't get it. Um, you know, they, they, they did this maliciously. You know, we disagreed on everything anyway. Who, who cares? Move on. Or you could try to win them back, not necessarily as a client, but win them back in, in the battle of satisfaction and logic and, and relationship. And, uh, and if you can do that, that's actually a much bigger feat than, than winning your next biggest customer. And if you can do that effectively, you can turn some people that will say really sour things about you, the complete opposite, because now they feel guilty that this genuine, generous, uh, patient person had a really good response to their negativeness. Now, th there's some folks that are, you know, unfixable, right? 
Uh, yeah. right? But 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 I, but I think that if you could if if you could recover from a negative review, it actually becomes even better for you. Did you ask them to remove the negative review as a condition of working with you again? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I would have asked them to actually post a follow up review saying, you know what, we were wrong, and yeah. leave it all up there. Well, I, I, that's our plan. This was actually happened uh, beginning of the summer. So I think when we're finished our first year, that is certainly our plan is to go back. I thought it was maybe a little bit early to be like, you better post a positive review because that's kind of an unfair situation. Well, not a positive review, just just something explaining that even though we post this negative review, we're actually rehiring this company, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should have done that. But, you know, <laughs> the pearls of wisdom What's are flying already. What's the there process to reverse a Google review, Andrew? Is there a, spe a specific process for that, or you can just go in and edit your review? Uh, okay, okay. You you can go from one star to five star just by clicking edit. Uh, I've never actually done it myself, um, but I know that you can go in and edit your actual review that you wrote. The one thing is, I actually had a I had a customer today ask me, and I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if anyone who's watching might is he was saying, how frequently can you post a second review? Because like, he, he wrote a review for us last year and he wanted to write another review. I'm like, I'm not sure if you actually can. Because I think you can, like, can you write multiple reviews for a company? I don't think you can. I, I don't know if I have the answer to it, but I, I assume that if I was in the Google side or the Yelp world and I see more than one person reviewing, um, I, I would see it as spam, whether I'm a human yeah. being or a bot. So I would I would say it's it maybe not customary. It might be like a very special thing. Yeah. Well, that's why I just said go to Yelp. You know what <laughs> I like on Yelp. Whenever somebody writes a negative review about me, I just write a reply saying, "Oh yeah, well you smell." <laughs> you know what? Worse worse than negative reviews is the random comments I get in YouTube of things that don't make any sense. Like the the other uh, the other time somebody went into one of my videos and did and wrote. In one of my like like get started with QuickBooks videos, he said yet again another government ploy to is enslaving us further. That's <laughs> it. That was the comment. I'm like That's a total troll trying to just get you to say something stupid back. Or do you think right. it's a bot? Could it be a bot? But but that doesn't even like okay. I don't think so. But, I think that somebody who probably doesn't really speak English. Just trolling around on YouTube, posting random comments that have nothing to do with the video. Or, or maybe he meant to say that was wonderful. I learned a lot, but the, <laughs> the wrong words came you, out. You know my <laughs> story didn't work for him. You know my famous story about my 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 YouTube troll that I had. No, so no, I shared this a lot. This is actually a very funny story. So by the time this happened, you know, this was maybe only a couple of years ago. So I had already learned a lot about how YouTube works, specifically the fact that. It doesn't matter if the comments are positive or negative. It just matters that people are commenting on your video and that helps you get up in the, you know, related search ranking. So they call that engagement. That's engagement. Right. So the guy comes on my, my video. I don't even remember which one it was. And he just posts, you're a fat Wait, Are we um, censored here? Can I curse? You can curse. Go for okay. it. So he just, he posts, you're a fat fuck on my video. Right. We, we encourage <laughs> you to curse actually. Okay. <laughs> Like a drunken sailor, it's good. Just right. rest assured, it's coming. <clears throat> so, um, so I, you know, at first, my first reaction was going to be to just like remove it or report it. And I'm like, no, wait a minute, this is the perfect opportunity because guys like that are really easy to get riled up. So I just wrote back, tell me how you really feel, right? And I got like a four-page novel back, <laughs> which was actually well written and kind of funny, to be very honest. Um, and I so again, I just wrote back like another like three or four word response. Right. 
And I got another like four page novel. And then I wrote another response along those lines. Again, I was just throwing like, you know, a few words out there just to get him to go again. So finally he starts going, come on, fight back. And I, you know, I wrote back, I said, I am fighting back. You just haven't figured out my game yet. Right. And he writes back another a long comment. And finally, I write back because then I'm like, all right, I got, I got stuff to do. I don't have time for this. So I finally wrote back. I love you from the bottom of my keyboard. Every time you post another one of these remarks, it helps my rankings on this video. And then he never commented again. <laughs> isn't, isn't that what's happening? I don't want to let's not get into politics, but isn't that kind of what happens in politics? Right. Is is the blunders and the the random comments and the nonsense that gets the media attention and gets people talking about that yep. person who will not and be mentioned all for it. Hook, line and sinker every time. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I actually, so actually um, I saw a video from Andrew argue, who's one of our favorites uh, of the thought leaders that are se selling stuff to the accounting profession. I never officially ever said anything bad about him, but we just, we, we uh, Michael and, and Andrew and I probably agree very aggressive marketing tactics. And, mm -hmm. and uh, there was a video that said I don't that think I he would disagree with that. I've actually had a call with him. I've spoken with him. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah I guess earlier so. this year. Yeah. So, um, so I, um, so I saw a video that says, I hate, you know, I hate value pricing and he makes a really good point, right? He's saying that the value pricing people that talk about it, it's almost like a cult like type of, uh, type of way of thinking. And he does make a kind of a point at the end that says, if you're spending too much time figuring out how to price, you're not spending enough time figuring out how to add value or create value. And I actually thought that was brilliant, but at the same time, the way he framed it, it was almost like, don't listen to the value pricing people, listen to me type of thing. So oh, obviously yeah, sure. I, have, I have an issue with, with, with that altogether. Um, but I, I thought, man, I should comment on this. I should, I should start, uh, a Twitter war with this guy, you know, but, <laughs> but, again, but I don't, who, who comes out at the end of the day, who benefits from not, nobody does no. really. Apparently really whoever's video you're commenting. I, I can't tell you how many times throughout any given day, especially more and more these days where I find myself about to engage in something. And I just stop myself and say, this is a total fucking waste of my time. I'm not doing it. And I get back to work and I get back to doing things that are going to put money in my pocket, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, I so many times throughout every day I make those decisions and I because I used to not I used to engage in stuff and and because, I you know, whatever it was fun or whatever it was or I just, you know, like I'll give you another example of this, especially in our accounting community. I see still once in a while, as I'm sure you guys do, you know, people commenting about why they don't want to go from desktop to QuickBooks online, or, you know, and I just I gave up trying to convince people. It's like, you know what, they're going to make their own decision. They're going to have to have their own experience. And at some point they'll do it or they won't do it or whatever. It's not my job to make everybody go to QuickBooks online. I used to almost feel like this natural compulsion, like I had to go convince people why they need to go. And I'm just like, no, it's not a good use of my time. And so I, and somehow maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm grayer now and I'm more grumpy. Um, like remember the movie Grumpy Old Men? I just can't. I think I'm more like Jack Lemmon, maybe. Um, but I just, I just, I can't bear to waste my time on stuff. And I'm so much more conscious of that, that than ever before in my life these days. And then the the negative energy feeds on itself, right? And mm -hmm. then you just you spiral down that dark hole, right? You know, I was just watching a, a great episode, great podcast on the Joe Rogan experience with with Kevin Hart. 
um, just got so like he's so full of positivity. Um, and he was sharing the story of this like woman who drives up the side and rolls down the window and is like, when are you going to make a good movie? And he's like, how am I, how am I even supposed to respond to that? And he's like, you know what? Uh, you know what? I'll do my best. What can I do for you? Like what, what's the point in going down that road of engaging with those haters? Cause the world is full of those trolls and those people, there's always going to be someone looking to engage, looking to pick a fight. And how do you just walk away from that and, and just feed off, you know, feed off your own positivity and your energy and, you know, just give back to them rays of sunshine, despite what a dark, horrible troll they might be. Yeah, I mean, take the guy that I was explaining that I had that situation with on YouTube about. He came out straight up and said it like, come on, fight back. He he made it clear at that point. This is exactly what he was hoping to do. Is he was hoping to get a rise out of me. And the fact that he wasn't made it. First of all, that drove him even more crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. But I in my view i sort of won that battle i got that video's rankings up because all i had to write was two or three words each time and he just went off it's you know so it's really easy to turn that kind of thing around right and it's like classic bullying right like how do you win in a bullying situation you don't engage because if you engage and you um interact then that's what they're looking for they're looking for that engagement they're looking for that that power balance and if you don't engage they're like yeah you're right you know yeah i'm a fat fuck whatever and a lot of times no response is a response that in itself sends a really strong message so sometimes i just ignore i ignore a lot of stuff actually yeah so that was fun we'll switch topics a little bit maybe we'll 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 talk a little bit about business and then maybe we'll find a way to transition back into other fun things so seth um can you know i'm pretty sure that everybody that's watching and listening knows who you are but give me a one minute story on how you ended up in YouTube and now doing accounting and now uh, doing courses online and consulting. Just give me a sort of a, a, a one minute, a brief summary of the last 20 years of professional set. I can sum it up in three words, Hector. Drugs and alcohol. <laughs> okay. okay. Seriously. Um, That's encouraging. Um, yeah. well, I mean, I, a lot of people have heard the story before, but I'm sure not everybody has. Um, but I was, you know, when I started out, I had actually, I had just bought my home here in Burbank where I live. Um, and this is when I had just gone back into, this was like 2007-ish when I went back into working for myself. I had been working as the CFO for a real estate developer at the time um, who also had a wood flooring business in the design district of Los Angeles. Um, and long story short, I had made the decision that I was happier on my own. Um, Plus, quite frankly, I had seen the writing on the wall. This was at the time before the real estate bubble burst. And so everybody, this guy included, was living off of cash out refis. And I realized when the market topped out and he could no longer do cash out refis, um, the source of my salary was looking like it was going to dry up. So I kind of, having seen that writing on the wall, I said, you know what? I'm, plus, I'm just happier. I'm going to go back to doing my own thing which was scary as hell because I was accustomed to paying my mortgage based on the salary he was paying me. And now I had to go hustle and do that on my own. Right. So in those days, it was very different than now. I pretty much just posted ads on Craigslist. I knew enough HTML to be dangerous so I could make my ads on Craigslist stand out. And it was working. I just, I got leads in all the time from Craigslist and obviously Craigslist is designed for local. So I picked up clients. And in those days I was going and seeing clients in person. So I got back into Nerd Enterprises that way. And 
uh, some of the clients that I had had their own bookkeepers and they just hired me to come into their office and kind of look over the bookkeeper's shoulder, train them, make sure they were doing their job well and that kind of thing, acting as kind of an interim controller or CFO. And I found that I was getting the same questions asked of me over and over again, usually by way of follow-up. So I'd be at their office and then later that day or next day, I'd get emailed with the same questions 10 other people had emailed me earlier that week. And I would be literally writing out the responses and at one point, I started going back to the old sent emails and copying and pasting and then just tweaking it a little bit. And then I started writing up templates for the frequently asked questions, you know, which was like at that point, duh, I should just put that page up on my website. But then it occurred to me at the time I was starting to do webinars and I was using Adobe Connect, right? Remember that product? Still around, actually. Sucks. But I would use that for webinars. And the thought occurred to me, you know, I could just record a webinar with nobody else there but me and just throw those videos up on my website, right? And so the first one that I remember doing actually in that format, this was before I had put anything on YouTube, I wasn't even thinking about that, um, was on how to record NSF checks. And what I would do is you would record it with Adobe. And it's funny, before we went live, we were talking about Flash and the Swift files. Adobe Connects recording would produce a .flv file. And if you, it's Flash video, but it's poor, poor quality. It's terrible compared to even the Swift file was in those days. Um, so I would just throw up a link on my website directly over to the recording on Adobe server because that downloaded file was such bad quality. Um, and I would throw that up as a link on my website. Then people would watch that, I suppose. But eventually I hired a consultant for internet marketing who looked at what I was doing and he said, no, you gotta throw these videos up on YouTube. And in order to do that, he mentioned Camtasia. So at first I just did the Adobe connecting and used those FLV files and threw them up there um, and then eventually I said, you know what, I should just invest the money in Camtasia. I know I'll get a better quality video out of it. And I started throwing those up there. And that way, when I got those repeat repetitive sort of questions, I would just throow them the link in the email and say, here's a link to a video. It will, it will walk you through visually step by step how to do it, which is much better than trying to read this in an email, you know. And that's, that's how it started. I had no intention. I had no idea that this would be a marketing thing. In those days, I thought YouTube was just a place where people would throw up videos of burning Elmo dolls, right? I didn't know you could use it for business, but this consultant had told me, no, it's it's catching on. And this was like 2008 ish. I remember, Seth, when I started my business in 2008 ish, um, I actually I was about two years in. I started searching for Excel videos and I started watching a lot of your uh, Excel tutorials. And then later on, the 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 QuickBooks tutorials. And I would say maybe around 2011 or 12. I said, uh, one day I'll have a YouTube channel as big as Seth David's. That was literally my inspiration, like your channel, your videos, your content that helped me become a better professional was my inspiration for dedicating so much time at building, you know, at building uh, videos and content. And I, and, I pretty, and I got really obsessed with it, um, creating all this content and stuff. So I thank you and, and your pioneership I don't know if that's the right word, um, because I think you paved the way for a lot of us. You, I think you proved that you can give away the knowledge for free and also uh, somehow make a, build a business model around it. Now, it wasn't clear how you were making money on this, but every time I saw a video, at the end, you said, um, you know, knowledge is power to learn more, mm -hmm. call, call me, something like that. That was kind of like your, that was your tagline. Yeah. So actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So a couple of things real quick. First of all, that consultant was the one who told me 
um, and he quoted Zig Ziglar, right? He said, the basic premise of this is you help enough other people get everything they want and you'll get everything you want in life. And that was the foundation of why we were doing what we're doing, why we're going to give away free content on YouTube. Because some of my other colleagues in those days, in those days, I had a, a CPA who was doing my taxes, who watched what I was doing. She's like, you're not making any money on this. Like, why are you giving away this knowledge for free? And I said, trust me, you know, I know what I'm doing. So that was the basic premise of it, um, is that whole Zig Ziglar concept, help others get what they want by giving them videos and helping them learn how to do this stuff, right? Um, so that, that was the initial impetus of doing it. But before we did that, I had a really interesting conversation. I think there's an important lesson for people to learn in this for, based on, Hector, what you just pointed out about what we refer to as the call to action, right? Because the consultant who encouraged me to put these videos on YouTube in that same conversation on that same day had asked me, he said, Seth, what do you want people to do? And I said, well, I want them to hire me. And he's like, no, 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 you got to get more specific than that. And so he got specific with me. He says, by the time they're done watching your video, what very specific action do you want them to take? Do you want them to email you? Do you want them to fill out a form? And I stopped him and I said, I said, uh, I, I said, I want them to call me. I want them on the phone with me because I know that I'm good on the phone. And when they hear the enthusiasm in my voice, that's contagious. And that's going to get them to want to hire me for sure. Right. And that's not going to work for everybody, but it definitely worked for me because I, I knew who I was then. And I certainly know who I am now. Right. And I, I, I know that I'm, um, you know, outgoing and friendly that way and, and excited. People often even this day, I had dinner with somebody the other night and she was telling me how she could hear the enthusiasm in my voice that I was how excited I was about where I'm going with things these days, which we can talk about later. But um, the point is, yes, giving it away to keep it which comes right, that's the other thing that caught me about this consultant, a lot of what he was saying to me without him knowing it was speaking right to my experience in recovery from drugs and alcohol, speaking of drugs and alcohol. Uh, so maybe it wasn't totally joking that I brought that up in context because the whole concept- uh, it's, a, it's apple juice. It's um, apple juice. He's not drinking. Yeah. That's not, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> the people watching on the live feed, I don't know if you got, I'm looking at the comments, they're all getting wasted. They're doing like shots and stuff. So- um, but anyway, the idea of give it away to keep it really appealed to me on that level, especially. And I said, this is a way. And I started formulating this concept in my mind, bigger picture of taking what I learned in the program of recovery about giving it away to keep it. And and just that whole general um, idea of of, um, of of being generous and being helpful to others, being of service to others and bringing that into my business model. And I didn't totally understand myself how it was going to make money. I understood very roughly how it was. But, um, you know, and then obviously I learned exactly how and why it was going to make me money, you know, in the long run. And I'm sure most of us understand that now. I have a question for both of you. Both of you are obviously huge YouTube celebrities in our community, have built up amazing followings. You got videos with tens of thousands, hundreds of views. Um, and you guys started, both of you started around the 2008 uh, era. Um, YouTube's come a long way since then. It's it's uh, obviously a lot more flooded with a lot more creators. It's a lot harder now to get that engagement, to get those viewers. Do you think that there's still the same opportunities for people to do the types of things that you're doing? And what would you, what pearls of wisdom would you give to someone who is trying to create a YouTube channel today? I'll start. Yeah, you go first, Hector. Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there, um, Andrew. So to answer the, the, the first question, which is, hey, is there an opportunity to do it, even though Hector and Seth have 800, 600 videos, you know, 
our my content is going to be lost uh, among all the content from everybody else. Is it even worth it? Look, assume for a second, this will be my first suggestion to anyone, any practitioner, assume for a second that you put a whole bunch of videos in YouTube that are instructional, they're useful, they're, they answer the top 20 questions that you're answering to your uh, clients at all times. Because I mean, we all know we get the same question over and over and over. Like, Every, I have a customer that every year tells me, wait, what do you mean I'm profitable? I don't have any money in the bank. And it's like, Jesus, this is the 11th year. We go through this exercise, but it, it's our job. Our job is to explain these things. So imagine for a second that you're creating content just to answer those frequently asked questions or to put the clients at ease on those like accounting emergencies that really are not, but they have to get you on the phone and you're busy. Imagine if you could quickly say to your client, hey, I got this hidden video. And I'm saying, imagine your videos are not public. And this hidden video that might answer that question. Watch that video first. And by the time I can get back to you Monday at four o'clock, maybe we can bridge the gap. Our, our phone call will be, would be uh, shorter and it'll get you thinking about uh, some of the things that you want. And me on the phone right now, we, so you, you turn an emergency, drop everything one hour phone call into a 10 minute phone call a day or two later because the client had a chance to watch some content coming from you. Because I can tell my client, my client can be panicking about cost of goods sold or whatever. And I can say, hey, go watch that video and maybe you'll get it. And then we'll talk about it later. It's much different than saying, watch my video, right? Because they have the relationship with me. So it's as if I'm on the phone with them explaining it to them. So imagine if YouTube was not a promotional tool. Imagine if it was just a tool you use to enhance the experience of communication with your clients. So that's just a great reason to create content in the first place. What about my employees? You know, I, and I don't have a big firm. I have uh, maybe we're a team of seven and maybe only like three people actually watch my videos. The other three, I have to like convince them and like force them to watch one of my videos uh, because they know they can call me and ask me, but I've, and all the time they're, they're DMing me and stuff and say, Hey, that one tip about, you know, Excel dates, minute 34 that saved me, 10, 15 minutes of work today. So that's really satisfying, you know, as, as an employer, seeing that my employees are watching my content and becoming more efficient, more effective at their jobs. So there's a, there's a reason number two to create, to create content. And the icing of the cake, the icing on the cake would be, hey, I saw your video on inventory transfers. I haven't seen anybody else create content like that. My accountant certainly has never mentioned that I can do that. I would love to explore a relationship with you and that becomes a new client. Obviously, that's icing on the cake. But but as you say, Andrew, that's difficult to compete if there's a lot of other people out there creating uh, content. So my suggestion would be, don't don't think too much about profit motive. The way same way Seth uh, mentioned, just if if you believe in your heart, you're creating something great. There's something about this world and how and how abundant it is in success that if you build something great, somehow it comes back to you. When you think of the profit motive first, and I know a lot of folks do that because they do business planning and all that stuff. And I, I get it, right? Because if you're an MBA, you have to do a business plan before you jump the gun and do anything. Um, but if you think about the profit motive first, your, your whole intentionality towards it, the way you approach it, how you do it, how you make time for it, how you measure results, it will all be skewed towards that profit motive and the greatness, the one thing, that you, the, the amazing thing you want to build from it, it really won't come out or come out really slowly as you see profits come in. 
So my encouragement, you're saying, is yeah, just start doing it. Um, and, and hopefully, hopefully three, four, five years down the road, they bring your clients. But it is a long game, absolutely a long game. Seth, you, have, I see to you. you have to almost not focus on the number of views, the number of subscribers, I guess, right? You, you've got to just focus on That's a great trying question. to solve a problem for-, for Not about that. Yes, and I'm going to say yes and no. And Seth, I'll let you answer. I'm going to say yes and no. Because if you're frustrated because you're not seeing any traction- the frustration will come up on your next video. It'll come out, right? They will be shorter. You'll be more terse. You might do less frequent postings. So I think that you should get basic knowledge of basic YouTube analytics and YouTube uh, rules, you know, like, hey, you have to have a decent thumbnail. You have to have a good title. You want to share it in your social media channels. You want to tell your mom to hit like, so at least you see one like in there, right? You want to tell your your your, your, your kids to comment on it. Yes, you, you need to sort of create virtual traction with your own energy um, because that's how it gets the push, right? It's not just create content nobody's watching and that's okay because that can become really frustrating over time. Hector's like the multi-level marketing kind of YouTuber where he just begs his friends and family for <laughs> likes and... <laughs> I'm not um, ashamed to do that either. So... Um, so here's my kind of, first of all, thanks for calling us huge YouTube celebrities. I'm, I'm trying to lose weight, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, the opportunity is there, but it's not the same. That's, that's kind of how I want to start in answering your original question, right? There is an opportunity there, but it's not the same opportunity that there was years ago. Years ago, 2008, there was nobody doing it, right? And actually, and I shouldn't say that there was some stuff out there, but most of what I saw, because when that guy had encouraged me, I, I did some research. I went onto YouTube and I started looking for, I searched QuickBooks to see what kind of QuickBooks videos were out there. And, and this is another story I've shared a lot, but it's a true story. It was my experience when I went out there and I saw these like college professors who were putting up YouTube videos probably to, you know, create additional aids for their students. But it was kind of like banking, reconcile. Very right. academic. <laughs> it was, it reminded me of Ferris Bueller, you know, Ben Stein, Bueller, Bueller, anyone? Bueller. So I, I, right away when I saw that, I was like, okay, there's my opportunity. Cause all I have to do is be lively and get excited about this. And part of me, I wanted to set out and show that accounting didn't have to be boring, which I noticed was funny. That's in your kind of header video, right? Who says accountants are boring? Um, the, uh, you know, so that was the opportunity that I saw right away. So now, yes, there's a lot more people doing it, right? A lot of people have seen the writing on the wall. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It just means you need to find a way to stand out and be different, right? You watch a Seth Godin TED talk on the purple cow, and he gives examples of this, how, you know, Silk did something brilliant branding wise, where they did their product didn't need to be refrigerated, but they placed it in the refrigerated section next to milk. So that as you're going through that section, you see milk, milk, silk, right? So it stands out. So, you know, and, and even back when I started and that guy had given me the encouragement to do it, uh, you know, he had said, you have to kind of find your persona, right? You have to have a personality if you're going to go out there and do this with video. Um, and then in, in terms of, you know, the numbers, uh, yes, the statistics are important in the long run, I suppose. <clears throat> but another thing Seth Godin talks about is you don't necessarily want a million fans or followers. You want a thousand raving fans instead, 
right? So a lot of people talk about YouTube and how, you know, the ideal, you look at the stats and most people drop off after like three minutes, you know, so you don't want to do a video longer than three minutes. The truth is these days more than ever, YouTube wants you to do half an hour videos. You have, you get better rankings from YouTube with longer videos. They, they have made it clear. I've talked with Chris Brogan and some other, you know, YouTube type influencers about this stuff. <clears throat> no question. YouTube is now giving props for longer videos. They're, they're encouraging it. Um, and the truth of the matter is, in keeping with the thinking of instead of worrying about having a million followers, I want to have a thousand raving fans. Um, what, what that tells me, and if I'm looking at that curve in the YouTube stats, right, I don't care about the, the bulk of the people who, who are sticking with it through three minutes. I want to know who the fuck the other people are that stick it out from minutes four through ten, right? Those are, the, those are the people who are at least the potential raving fans, if not the raving fans. That's what I'm going for. I want to narrow down the audience, if anything, and get the diehards. Those are the people that are going to swear by everything I do, and they're the ones who are going to go out and tell everybody they can about everything I do. That's what I want to do. I mean, I'll take the others. That's, I'm not going to turn them away, but you get my point. Yeah. That's what I want to go for. And if I just go out there and I just be myself, I don't I think the stats take care of themselves in the long run, as long as I'm putting good quality content out there. That's the other thing. Keep in mind. Yes, there's a lot of people are, that are doing it. Most of it. Uh, fuck politeness. It's crap. Right. Most of it that's getting out there is crap because people are just mass producing shit just to get it out there. Right. They're not taking the time. I, if anything, am taking longer to make videos today than I did five years ago because I'm putting much more time and effort and I care a lot more about making it really good. And I used to just kind of go off the cuff and wing it. And now I usually have a good outline. So I stay on point because otherwise I notice I'm all over the place. And that's a great way to lose your audience and confuse people. What's this video about? And I see that all the time. I see people doing Facebook lives. The reason I don't do Facebook lives a lot, because I think about it every day, believe me, is I want to have a structure if I'm going to do it. And I watch so many Facebook lives where people are all over the place. And after the first five minutes, I'm like, I don't understand where this person is going with this. And I'm out. I'm out. I, 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 have, I have other things to do. You know what I mean? So the opportunity is there, but you need to you just you need to stand out and you need to just be true to who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. So let me can I add some content here because you you were you, you were talking about YouTube analytics and there's only stuff that only YouTube people know. But in the in the YouTube world, uh, your videos have something called the audience retention chart, which mm -hmm. basically shows you a graph of how many people are watching your video uh, based on the timeline of the video. And almost all the videos look like this. You lose literally like 100, like I would say like 60% of the viewers, you lose them on the neck on the first 30 seconds because mm -hmm. some people... Uh, you don't have a good intro or some people realize that they don't have a full 10 minutes to watch a video after they clicked it. You know, we have attention span issues, all that stuff. But then what, what he's talking about is, hey, what happens all the way towards the end? You know, who I are want the pe those people? I want to reach yeah. those people. I want to reach look, look at my percentages here. That's 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 somewhere around 20 percent. So out of all the watchers, when you look at the stats, only 10 to 20 percent of people actually like your content through the end so it's not don't focus so much about the numbers focus about you know hey the ones that actually like your stuff because at the end of the day seth if you have a thousand diehard followers that could probably uh, probably afford 50 dollars a month for your content that's half a million dollars a year you can you could drop everything else 
for right. half a million dollars a year. I think that's the point you're trying to make, right? Yeah, and, and it really make it more about the engagement than the numbers, right? That's what counts. When you look at whatever systems have been around out there to measure your influence, like cred, which before, then there was clout, and I think clout's gone. All these things, are they, they rate you not based on even quality of your content. It's all about the engagement, you know? How much or how much is the audience motivated to take action after they're watching your video? And since I've started moving my whole web platform over to Kajabi, I've become infinitely more aware of this because with Kajabi, there's so many things I could do that they just make it really easy to do <coughs> where I could say, all right, let's say I have, you know, uh, whatever. I have a huge list that I email every week. Every Saturday, I usually write the email and it goes out. Sundays usually at 1 a.m. it's scheduled to go out, 1 a.m. Pacific, right? <clears throat> and a lot of people tell me they love reading my stuff on Sundays. You know, they know it's going to come on Sunday. The reason I did it was, first of all, that's when Chris Brogan sends it out, and I kind of look at what the people who are successful with these things do, and I follow suit. I notice Chris Brogan sends his out at that hour, so that's what I do. And I have found that people, and, and I found on the receiving end of that, Sundays I'm more inclined to be more relaxed and willing to take the time to read something. During the week, I have no time, right? So it makes sense. So I, <clears throat> I started following suit and I, I now get a lot of people responding to me every week saying that they really look forward to getting my emails and reading them every Sunday. But what I'm able to do now with Kajabi is let's say within that list, I want to see who out of this list is interested in uh, QuickBooks Online for property management. <clears throat> I can send an email out with a link to a form that's also designed in Kajabi. <clears throat> Quick form, just give me your name and email. Let me know if you're interested in this topic. Right. Then Kajabi on the back end, I can automate it and say anybody who fills out this form, tag them QBO property management or something. Right. And now I've got a segment within my list of all the people who I know are interested and I can send them very targeted content on topics that I know they're interested in. So I might be emailing a small fraction of the major list, but I'm emailing something they want that they care about. And that I guarantee you will boost engagement. So Kajabi is your CRM, I guess. I'm not, I'm not familiar with no, Kajabi. Kajabi is the platform on which I'm now designing the website. So if you go to new.nerdenterprises.com, you're going to see the new version of the website, which is built on Kajabi. Kajabi is primarily a learning management system. It's where you can deliver courses, and that's what originally attracted me to it. But the more I got in deep with it, the more I started realizing this is actually, I want my whole damn site in this thing because I now don't need MailChimp anymore because it has the whole email marketing thing built in, and it has the kinds of automations like like I just described and a whole lot of other stuff and it's all contained in one ecosystem and 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 I love it I just I want to live my life in Kajabi now I want to get up every day I want to record videos and write content and then get into Kajabi to share it in whatever form I'm going to that's kind of I'm developing a very strong new vision for the direction I'm going in with everything and 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 Kajabi is kind of at the center of my ecosystem when it comes to that and how does Kajabi work? Is it, it's, it's a monthly fee for you, you pay for it or it's. Yeah, you pay. That's one of the things I liked about it. I looked at things like Udemy, which is awful. I mean, unless you just have no audience to speak of, they take all your money and then they, and then they decide what to charge for it. And they decide if they want to put it on sale and they decide if they want to value your content like crap. So I would never touch Udemy. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a monthly fee. So this way I pay them their monthly fee and there's different levels and the different levels include a certain number of products. And just to keep it simple for the sake of conversation tonight, uh, a product is a course, let's just say, 
right? Mm -hmm. Each course would use up one product. So the plan I'm on gives me 15 products. I can do 15 courses. By the time I've got five courses live and selling, I better be making enough money to go to the next level anyway, right? Long before I use up the 15. Um, so that's where Bulletproof Bookkeeping is going. That's almost done getting rolled out. And that's where, like I said, that's where everything's going from now on. Seth, uh, can I, I want to pull the curtain on the latest uh, course that you're selling and okay. I'll simultaneously plug it. You want to lift up as, my skirt? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug it as a, as a thank you for coming on, coming on tonight. But I also want to pull the curtain a little bit on your thinking about the pricing and how you're selling and how you're putting it together. So you have a, you have a course, which I, th I think is fantastic. I, I was thank looking at, the, at, at all the, your actual content and then the stuff that you're developing, which is called Bulletproof, Bulletproof Bookkeeping or yep. something like that, or right? Bulletproof book. It's called Bulletproof Bookkeeping with QuickBooks Online. Right, and, and there's thousands of QuickBooks uh, bookkeeping courses out there, right? So, so you have to figure out how to stand out. And, and when you, you picked a word, basically, a word that you wanna own the space of Bulletproof. So when people are saying, hey, are those books Bulletproof? Yes, they are. But what does bulletproof mean? Because people don't shoot at books, right? Uh, bulletproof means... Some people probably if, do. I guess they could, right? Yeah. So bulletproof means, quote unquote, if it gets audited, could you track could every... Could you prove every line? number? Right. Yep. Could you prove every number? Do you, have, do you have at least a roadmap to defend yourself against an audit? And basically all you're saying is, hey, prepare books in such a way that you have a receipt and a transaction behind anything no yeah. journal entries, no adjustments, that type of stuff, correct? And there's, yeah, there's even more to it than that because there's even, even in terms of how you book transactions can make a huge difference in terms of putting the right audit trail together, right? And you do it in a way where the numbers, <clears throat> you know, tell the right story about what happened. So quick story on where, like, where the whole Bulletproof thing came from. <clears throat> um, you know, we've had the Authentic Accountant podcast for the past year. And when I interviewed Ron Baker, we were talking about value pricing in that interview, as you would probably expect. And he, um, he kind of gave us a story about how he learned about value pricing, where he said this was many years ago, of course, and he was traveling a lot and he would come home and he would see things wrong with what his gardener had been doing around his yard, right? And so he would ask the gardener and say, hey, can you fix this? Can you do that? But the thing is, he, that's not what he wanted to spend his time doing in the little bits of time that he had at home to spend with his family or whatever in between traveling. So he started looking for a new gardener. And he said he, he started interviewing different gardeners. And he said this one gardener came and he said, look, I'll make it real simple for you. He said, I'll keep you up to par with cur current curb appeal on your block for this price. And I'll give you the best curb appeal on the block for this price, right? And he said that made it really simple and attractive for him. So after that interview, I started thinking about that. What would be my version of this, right? And long story short, and I spent actually a good week or more really kind of going over it and thinking about it. And then it hit me. I said, well, my version of that would be compliance or bulletproof. So I tested it out in a few phone conversations. And I remember taking on a client right in the beginning of this year, because this was around the time. And I, on the phone with this prospect, I started telling him, I said, look, we can do this two ways, you know, for 500 a month, I'll give you compliance, basically books that are okay. You can file a return with them, you know, reliable, um, or for a thousand dollars a month, I can give you bulletproof books. And they said, well, what's the difference? And I said, bulletproof, we can verify every number. We'll make sure we've got the documentation. We have apps that we use, but also we'll, it's, it's also about taking the time, like I said, to book the entries in such a way that it creates the right audit trail. Now, for a lot of things, it's not going to make that much difference, but little subtle things 
uh, come up that will make a difference where you could book it a few different ways, right? Like, and I remember years ago, this was a conversation around desktop where people would use the discount to write off bad debt. And I would say, no, that tells the wrong story. That's not what happened. I didn't give them a discount. A discount says, uh, I like you, I'm happy with you, and I'm lowering the price, right? Whereas that's not what's going on when I write off bad debt. Granted, the discount works in function, right? It gets the, the it gets the amount, it, it gets the accounting done. But again, it tells the wrong story along the way. So there's things like that that we pay attention to, especially when it comes to doing a set of bulletproof books. And that's really what it amounts to. And then that kind of got me thinking about this course. And when I wrote the content and the outline, I just did it with an eye towards how to make sure we're putting things together in such a way that if I need to, I can prove every number on every financial statement and every number on every line item and every detail report that you would drill into from every financial statement. You know, and that's going to mean booking things a certain way. And it's going to mean using the apps that we use to document all of your expenses. And not just that, it also means making sure that if I want to review my income, that I have some kind of a trail back to the contract that supports that I build the correct amounts for the income. So it's all the way around, right? And Seth, I wanted to ask you a question about, I'm fascinated with pricing. You know, people know that I'm a big fan of, of Ron Baker and all his work as well. Um, the way you price it, I think it was really, really interesting. So you basically have two ongoing prices. You have the real course price and a temporary price, but you started selling the course way before it was completed. Can you tell us about that and how sure. effective it has been? So that goes back to Kajabi. Kajabi has an amazing community, a Facebook group that I joined the minute I signed up for their product. And what was nice about it is it's, and don't take this the wrong way, but it's not a group of accountants. It's a group of marketers, right? And so when I say what was nice about it, I mean that it was just, it's a, it's a community of people that I could learn a lot from, right? Which is not to say that I couldn't learn a lot from people here, but you, you know, so I don't want people taking my words out of context and making me sound like a bad guy. It's no question. I'm a bad guy, but the point I'm trying to make is they have a great community, very supportive, just like our accounting communities are, but these are marketers and they can teach a lot. So I went in there and I said, hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing. I've got this course. The outline's all done. I'm ready to start recording it. Do I build the whole course and then sell it or should I pre-sell it or what should I do? And I got a lot of great feedback from within that community. And ultimately, I did a bit of a hybrid of what was being suggested and which was, you know what? pre-sell it, make sure people are interested, make sure people really want this. Another thing that occurred to me was I'm sick and tired of subscriptions. And I think other people are too. I don't really hear a lot of people say it, but I think people are tired of having in effect a blank check written for you to just charge their account every month. And if they're not using it because they forget about it or they're busy, they feel like they're throwing their money away. So what I said was I will do a lifetime price. And I also, that what also got me to think about that was that I was on the receiving end of this. At the same time as I was starting to put this all together, I was starting to en uh, enroll myself in other resources to learn about how to do this kind of stuff, how to really do the marketing on this stuff. And what it comes down to, frankly, is how to build traffic and funnels, right? Because I want to go way beyond the current reach that I have. I know there's a much bigger world out there. I want access to that world. And that's how I'm going to learn how to do it. And one of the courses I ended up paying for got me that way. Because at one point, I was going to sign up for 37 bucks a month. And then after I agreed to do that and went into checkout, it said, hey, you know what? For $297, we'll give you lifetime access. And I'm just like, hell yeah, I'm in, right? Lifetime access, 300 bucks, totally worth it. Even if it's a terrible course, 
you know, 300 is a chunk of money, but it's, I'll live, you know, it won't change my lifestyle any if it, if it ends up being terrible, right? So I took a page out of that book when I set up the pricing for this. And I said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pre-sell it. The base price is $997 lifetime access. I'm going to pre-sell it with a coupon code for $500 off. I'm going to make it easy. The coupon code is going to be right there in checkout, right? So that you can just copy and paste it right from the page into the little coupon area. And so until the last course is rolled out, it's $497 for life. You have that course. Um, as soon as the last course is rolled out and published, and of course, I'm going to put lots of uh, emails and you know, warnings for people like, hey, last chance is coming up. And I know that'll produce a spike in sales. So I'm not going to try and hide the fact that there's a strategy there behind that. Um, because if you create scarcity, that's what's going to get people to take action, right? That's a classic marketing but it's not a gimmick. It's because if I don't, if I let you think that you're going to be able to get this price forever, then you're going to procrastinate, right? So it's a way of getting procrastinators to get off their butt and actually take action. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't absolutely think that people are going to get three times the value out of this. So bottom line, at the end of the day, last lesson goes out, the price goes up to $997. And then I've also sort of internally established a threshold where after I have so many people signed up, the price is going to go up still more from there. And Seth, uh, there's so much to unpack there, but I'll, I'll, we have we don't have that much time left. There's one little small piece of that that I think is a huge learning, which is you started selling it before it was completed, and right. that's huge. That's huge because a lot of people get stuck saying, "Hey, you know, I, I, until I have this big thing ready to sell, I have nothing to sell." And and basically having nothing to sell, no cash flow, no outcome, no movement. Mm -hmm. Exactly what we're talking about: the traction on videos uh, earlier, people get discouraged and they never complete it, right? right. So, but, but it's also important to know that, that if a random person off the street would build this course and sell it incomplete, it might be difficult if they don't have the brand and the trust to do that. So, sure. so, so you got two things happening here, which are, it's important to, to look at everything. One is you build a lifetime of service to help in the community, you prove yourself by creating videos, creating content, being generous, offering uh, to help people without getting paid. And then now you create a course saying, hey, trust me, I will build this thing eventually. It will look like this, 100 will be awesome. It's only 10% done, but you can get in it now, get in at a lower price, and people have to trust you that you're going to complete it or that is the, the course. And is I did make a promise that there would be yeah. new content delivered every single week. And I have with maybe one or two exceptions, I've delivered on that promise. There've been maybe one or two weeks in the, in the period since I started it that I didn't actually produce any new lessons. And if anything, I more than made up for it in the following weeks because I would produce like five lessons. So that's uh, that was the other thing is I, you know, I want, and, and obviously I've got to stick by that or cause I'm putting my own reputation on the line. And it yeah. makes it easier when you're seeing that cash flow coming every week. It encourages you, right? Well, yeah, because and that's where that's where the a lot of the pre-sell suggestions came from because they said, "Look, there might not might not be anybody's interested in this. Maybe nobody cares about bulletproof books, right?" So I could have put it out there, and if not a single person signed up, I might have had to reconsider. Um, that maybe I would, I would want to do a different kind of course. Maybe this one isn't, but you know, I kind of knew because I had sort of tested the concept of bulletproof in other ways. And I had learned just from the feedback I'd gotten, uh, just the use of that word has, it, it seems to have a, a, a power to it, you know, a drawing power, 
where people respond to that. And that's what marketing is. It's finding the right language to describe what you're offering to provoke an emotional response. And if you're provoking an emotional response, you're going to get people to take action. That's like marketing 101 right there. And so, Seth, building this minimum viable product. Sorry, uh, I'll make my last comment and I'll let you uh, wrap <laughs> it up. And so building this minimal valuable product that you had planned out. So you actually, you actually wrote down, hey, these are going to be all the topics we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet, it's a safe to bet that the course has gotten bigger, mm-hmm. um, more complex, and it's gotten basically more tentacles because you're building as you're getting clients and the clients are giving you feedback. And also you, you're seeing the cash flow. So maybe you're investing a little bit more in researching and seeing what's out there. And the course has ended up becoming objectively just a better course altogether as if you have built this finite plan and then started selling after after it was completed, right? Well, yeah, and it's interesting because what what you're describing is in fact what's happened, but in, in some ways maybe a little differently than you might be thinking, and I'll explain that. Um, and, and one thing I want to uh, clarify just so it's clear, I had the whole first section of content recorded before I even started pre-selling it so that at least I had a chunk of something to start with right away. And the whole first section was a deep dive on bank feeds and every possible way to get transactions into QBO. So it went from the obvious of just connecting your bank feeds like you would normally do to uploading a CSV file in case you can't download from the bank for some reason to using SASANT to bypass the bank feeds area and use SASANT to map and import, uh, you know, and prep an Excel file. So it actually teaches a lot of Excel skills there. So that whole deep dive and then showing at the end of it all, how you can reconcile your account in two seconds because everything's been matched up. And so literally you just put in the balance, everything's already pretty much checked off and you balance out to zero instantly. And uh, anyway, so the, uh, but the thing that happened, Hector, as you talked about, um, is yes, I did get feedback. To be honest, not a whole lot of feedback about the content itself in terms of like what, what kinds of lessons to do. I definitely, as I got into it, went back and realized, oh, I should have done a lesson on this. And I went back and added the stuff in. Beautiful thing is two things I learned. I used to always number my lessons and sections in my courses. I stopped doing that because that makes it very difficult to insert something in the middle if you need to. Same reason I fucking hate account numbers on chart of accounts, right? It starts to get difficult to stick things in. So that I dispensed with. And Kajabi makes it really easy to go back and insert something and drag it wherever you want it to go in the order. But where I did get feedback that was interesting was that I should, you know, a lot of times I just do the video and I'm like, who needs the write up? I got the video. But a few people said, because in a couple of cases I did do a write up and one or two cases, I did some very detailed write ups with screenshots. And then people commented saying, you know, I really love that. I wish you would do more of that. And so I've been doing that with every lesson ever since doing screenshots, using Snagit to get that cool little cutout effect that I love. And I've been posting pictures like that everywhere. And so now I'm going to go back probably and and enhance the older lessons and do those detailed write-ups because everybody learns differently. And at the end of the day, I know some people really appreciate that write-up. Maybe they don't want to watch a video. Maybe they're spouse is sleeping in the next room and they don't want to bother them with the sound of a video, but they can read the write-up and follow the screenshots. So my plan is to do heavy amounts of both aspects, the visual from the video and the visual from the write-up with the screenshots. Right. There's something to be said about those screenshots, being able to scroll down and scroll through if you're trying to get to a very specific area. Sometimes it's easier to do that with the screenshots and the text than it is with the video. But I think one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you, Seth, was 
you know, a lot of us look up to you and look to inspiration from you on how to run better businesses, how to do better video, how to build um, systems and programs. Who do you look up to and where do you get your inspiration for yourself? So it's an interesting question. I, I'm, and I'm reminded of an answer I got. Believe it or not, I actually interviewed Gary Vaynerchuk a few years ago. I have the recording, so I have the proof. Um, and I asked him a similar question, uh, you know, like, where does he get his inspiration from? And his answer was his customers. Like he didn't have mentors per se that he looked up to, that he got his inspiration from his own customers by basically talking to them and finding out what they needed and what they wanted and, you know, and, and responding accordingly. Um, but where, who, so who do I look up to when it comes to content? And this is definitely a shortcoming of mine. I spend so much time producing my own content that I don't spend as much time as I should, nearly as much time as I should learning from others. I've been correcting that. Like I said earlier, I've been enrolling myself in courses and other resources to learn how to build traffic and funnels because that's how I plan on really blowing these courses up that I'm doing. I've got a nice little list of courses I plan on rolling out. Um, so along those lines, I'm sort of uh, paying attention to guys like uh, uh, Russell Brunson from ClickFunnels. He's the one who started ClickFunnels. Before him, the main course I've enrolled in that I'm considering my cornerstone course for all this. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Mike Dillard, who is, I mean, he's done like over $60 million over the years just building traffic and funnels and, and using his email list to grow his business and to sell his products and services. So Mike Dillard, Russell Brunson. And then in the bigger picture marketing sphere, there's a gentleman that I was sort of reacquainted with recently. And I'm like, I don't know how I forgot about this guy, but his name is Jay Abraham. And any marketing professional out there will tell you, this guy is like the godfather of marketing. And he reminds me of everything I always aspire to be because he's very humble you would never know it if you were sitting in the room with him that this guy is like a god in the marketing world. Um, but he's amazing. And just listening to him, he's so well-spoken. He's so clearly comfortable in his own skin and comfortable with who he is and where he's gotten to in life that he's just a sheer pleasure to listen to anytime. Um, so Jay Abraham's a big one. I bookmarked his site and I plan on going through a lot of his resources too. And then there's a business whose uh, courses I've just begun to enroll in also because I'm building this little library of resources because as soon as this last lesson from Bulletproof Bookkeeping goes live, I'm going to put myself in my own little master's program on traffic and funnels. And there's that company that's actually called Traffic and Funnels, which I've most recently enrolled in one of their courses. It was like a $49 course on, a course on Facebook ads, but then they have a, mas a copywriting master kind of class, uh, which I paid an extra $99 for. And so now I've got kind of the, you know, the, the library built that I'm going to tap into. And my goal is to become an expert at building these funnels because I want a completely automated self-sustaining ecosystem that produces money all night long while I'm sleeping. That's the goal. So the one question I have about that is, how did you cut through all the bullshit? Because there's so much marketing bullshit out there. And sorry for my language again, Hector and Mike probably going to be pissed at me for getting rated R. Um, but there's so many people out there trying to tell you how to do marketing. And half the time you look them up and you look at their profile and, you know, a year ago they were working retail at Foot Locker. And now they're trying to tell you, you know, about their Porsche and their Lamborghini and how they're making million dollar sales online. How do you cut through that crap and find the people who are actually good? I, I mean, maybe it was a bit of luck, but also I paid attention. Mike Dillard, I'd followed for years. I knew who he was. He actually originally came from the multi-level marketing world. And I have a good friend from high school who's made millions himself in multi-level marketing. And I pay attention to his stuff. Not that I really want to get into multi-level marketing, but um, 
I, I, but I still, there's a lot you can learn from these guys. They know how to market a product. No question, especially online. Right. So I followed my friend, Aaron Rashkin is his name and he's a master internet marketer. And then I eventually figured out just picking up from reading his stuff that he learned from Mike Dillard. So by the time I learned of Mike Dillard, I, it came from a source I trusted. It wasn't even being recommended to me. It was just because I pay attention to stuff. And I always look around. Like I sometimes enroll in stuff, not because I care about the content itself, but I watch the process. I look at the sales process. I look at how are they getting me in? How are they taking me through their distribution channel? And I want to learn from observing. And I did a lot of that with Mike Dillard. And then one night, it was really on a fluke. I was like, you know what? I'm ready. I'm doing this Bulletproof bookkeeping course. I need to go to the next level. I've tried my hand at Facebook ads. I suck at it. I've thrown away thousands of dollars on Facebook ads over the years. I don't want to do that anymore. And so I, and I got an email from him. It was the right day, the right time, the right minute. And I clicked through. Next thing I know, I'm in, I'm in his sales funnel. I agreed to pay the 37. Then I agreed to pay the 297. And then I'm up till midnight watching his videos and learning how to start building these funnels. He recommends click funnels. I get into to ClickFunnels, I start learning who Russell Brunson is. Okay, now I have his books on my shelf behind me, one of which is called Expert Secrets, which I find out that a lot of people know and have read this book. But here's the funny thing about that. I want to touch on this. I know we're kind of running short on time, Don't and I want to respect that. But this is so important to me because so many people read so many books and they don't get shit from them, which is why I don't read books. I study them. When I'm reading one of these books, I'm going to read a section of it. I'm going to have Microsoft OneNote open and I'm going to have the book open in my nook, right? Or in my tablet. And I'm going to read and I'm taking notes because the book is worthless to me unless I learn how to take what's in that book and actually apply it into what I'm doing. And the only way I'm going to do that is to take notes and stop what I'm doing. So it might take me six months to get through a book that somebody else will read in a week, but I guarantee you I'm going to get much more mileage out of it doing it that way. Do you remember, remember in college or even in high school where they send this book report assignments and we were like, that's never going to be useful. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what it is, right? We're summarizing the book. We're, 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 we're specifying who the characters are, what the main plot is, what's the learning from it. Those basic high school and even college uh, fundamentals of taking a book and breaking it down and studying it in that level becomes really useful. Seth, uh, Andrew, do you have any more questions for him? I know we wanted to wrap up and an I'm hour. Going keep going a little longer if you guys want it seems like the audience is pretty lively <laughs> yeah i'm i'm always happy to stay longer um you know and well, I, I, I got i got some questions i want to ask seth as well yeah. <laughs> so, yeah let's keep going you know i think the one thing seth you've just inspired me because i'm guilty of being the opposite of you like i've just i'm rolling through so many books like doing 30 or 40 books a year but just not not taking the time to get as enough value out of them. So that's inspired me, but Hector, let's, let's keep rolling with your questions. Well, I wanted to ask you more of a personal question, Seth and Seth, Seth and I are Facebook friends for the most part. I, we, we see each other maybe once a year at QuickBooks connect. We chat for a little bit, you know, all, we're busy doing stuff, teaching classes. And I'm always after Seth. I'm like, Seth, let's do one. Let's do this. Let's do that. <laughs> and Seth comes back and tells me I'm focused on my courses. I'm focused on this. I'm apt to mm -hmm. uh, step out for a second. But I want to ask you a personal question, Seth. Um, and, and you, let me tell you something. And let, let me say this publicly. You are one of the people that I admire the most in this space. I'm, I'm eternally grateful for what you have done for this community and what you continue to do. Your benevolence and your and your uh, your, your your capacity and your strength to cre keep creating content uh, benefits a lot of people. And a lot of people don't. Uh, sometimes you don't see it until somebody tells you. So I think it's my civic duty to to tell you that. 
Um, Thank you. That means a lot coming from you, Hector. With that, I'll, I'll tell a quick story about the whole YouTube celebrity thing. And then I'll go back to the questions I wanted to ask you. So two years ago at QuickBooks Connect, one person, uh, the, the conference hasn't even started. I'm kind of walking around. One person bumps into me and says, hey, are you Hector Garcia? And I said, yes, I am. Oh, my God, my name is whatever her name was. Um, I, I, remember, I know her name. I just don't want to say it. I'm here with my friend. She really wanted to meet you. And then her friend comes to me with a very strong Eastern European accent. She says, oh, my God, Hector, such an honor uh, to meet you. I'm here from Serbia, and I came here to meet you. Now, of course, I don't think she meant she came from Serbia to QuickBooks Connect to meet you. I think she means to meet people like you, to meet you know the folks I learned from online. And I said, wow, from Serbia, that's amazing. I said, people watch YouTube videos, and I mean, uh, QuickBooks videos in Serbia. They said, let me tell you, you are huge in Serbia. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to not to laugh because it was really awesome to hear that. But it's also like, you know, you hear all these jokes that I'm, I'm huge in Japan and that stuff. And that's actually happening to me. I say, wow, wait, are you kidding me? What, what, do you, what do you mean I'm huge in Serbia? There's a huge community of bookkeepers in Serbia that watch you and admire you. And, and, and we all love your content, this and that. And I go, wow, that's pretty awesome. I was like, can I say this? Can I tell people that I'm big in Serbia? Because this sounds like a great way to start a, a training class or something. She's like, sure. So uh, the next day, I started my class and I told a story about that. And then for some reason, I, I said, everybody was laughing. I guess they were digging the joke. And I said, I'm going to get a shirt. Oh, no. Somebody says, you should get a shirt that says I'm huge in Serbia. And I said, yeah, yeah, I should. And two weeks later, that same person actually shipped me a, a shirt she had it made that says Hector is huge in Serbia. And it was awesome. such an amazing, it was such an amazing thing. Uh, it was an amazing thing to experience. And, you know, that person wasn't, you know, letting herself be known or anything. She wanted to show a token of appreciation because she had maybe learned how to do something or save some time from, you know, her day-to-day -day work by watching one of my videos. So I wanted to just kind of piggyback on the whole uh, YouTube uh, celebrity comment that Andrew said. But this, the question I want to ask you, Seth, is in a lot of training classes that I teach, or a lot of times that I talk to someone one-on-one, -on -one, I hear this comment a lot. And, and this is not to toot my own horn or to toot yours. I just want to know if you hear the same thing. People say, oh, I just want to connect my brain to yours. And, or I just want to take a piece of your brain and connect it to mine. Um, you know, obviously alluding to or commenting, you're smart, you know a lot. Right. Has that, has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Okay. okay. So the point I want to make or the question I want to ask is if people are saying that essentially what they're communicating to you is I wish, you know, I had the skills you had. I wish, you know, I knew what you know, et cetera. But I think that a lot of folks think that we're born like this, you know, like they're stuck. They can't do it. Uh, you know, and that person was born with a special power of like, learning and, and, and sharing and talking and teaching. But this is some, something that ev everybody can do. And what we do, do this podcast, do webinars, talk to other accounting nerds, go to conferences, do this type of Facebook lives. This is part of the process of getting good at what you do. Isn't it, Seth? I mean, you do lives on Zoom every Friday and you're talking for an hour, but you're chatting with other folks, you're getting feedback. You do videos, you, you teach. It's, it's not a chicken and egg thing that you have to have talent in order to create good content. You have to be creating content. You have to be sort of in the middle of it, getting that feedback, talking to other people to build back that talent. And I think a lot of people 
don't get that and they get stuck with, oh, I don't have what he has. I don't have what they have. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, one thing that people have said to me going almost like a step further, I think, than what you described, Hector, is some people tell me they wish I had my brain, right? Um, because they're, I know what they're, of course, they're paying me a very high compliment saying that they regard me as somebody who's very smart. Um, and I think that um, I think a lot of people, especially in our world, are very smart. I mean, you have to be smart to be an accountant or a bookkeeper and to be good with numbers like most of the people we know in our community are, right? I don't think there are any dumb people in our community. Um, and I also think that when it comes to, you know, getting that, but I mean, I had, look, I've been teaching Excel classes at Santa Monica College here over the last few years now. And in the last round of classes that I did, one of the young women who came into the class told me that she saw me post on social media somewhere that I was teaching Excel in Santa Monica College, and she lives in Santa Monica. And so she signed up because she was excited to get to meet me in person, you know, and she wanted to learn from me, of course. And it was funny. She was blown away because after one of the classes, I said, let's go for coffee. And we just went for coffee. And I said, pick my brain. I'm here. You know, you have an hour with me and then I got to get going somewhere. But, you know, ask me, ask away. Ask me any questions you want. She has a, a, a young bookkeeping business and she's just getting started. And I love giving back in that way. Um, and I love knowing that, A, I think the most important thing is humility in all of this. No matter what happens, no matter how much praise I get, it's so important. And and the, the way I learned about humility and how to, you know, keep that up front is as follows. And this goes back to my experience in 12-step recovery. I was in a meeting and, I, you know, which was run by this guy who at the time was very much somebody I thought of as a mentor on, on that side of my life. And the particular meeting he ran was one where you could ask questions and he would kind of show you how to find the answers, the solutions in the books that we read in AA. And, uh, and then he would, you know, expand on it. So what he said to me was, because uh, I raised my hand at one point, and this was back when I was working with that real estate developer. And I was, I don't know, maybe nine years sober at the time. And so life was starting to get really good. And a part of me gets very scared about success. Like, oh, if I get too good, if I get too cocky, I'm going to start thinking I've got this. And maybe the thought will pop in that I can have another drink, which I know very well that could never happen. And Hector, you and I were talking a little bit offline before we started tonight. And I was telling you, I actually have no desire to have a drink today because my life is so good without it. It's the last thing I would ever want. And I was having that conversation with somebody else who's in recovery earlier today about that fact that one of the things that help us stay sober when we get sober is the fact that we've built a life for ourselves that could that, that you know, that's just so good that we're so fulfilled that having a drink or doing a drug would just the thought wouldn't even cross my mind to do it today. But going back to humility, I raised my hand and I asked this guy and I said, what do I do to prevent from getting a, a big head about the success that I'm experiencing? And he read something to me in one of our books. I've got it right behind me. I could pull it out, but it's a little bit uh, AAE, if you know what I mean. But the, the, the short version of what it says is that um, I have to remember as, as, a, as a defense against big shotism is the word that it actually uses. I have to remember that any success I'm having is as much or more God's success than it is my own. And that's where I have to give the credit and the props to that. And even, you know, within that, even in between me and that, I've had help 
from a lot of people along the way. I've had people like you, Hector, who have caught on to what I was doing years ago and sung my praises. So I don't take the credit, all of it. I take some credit. I've done the work. I've worked my butt off. I mean, in the beginning, when I was describing earlier, when I was starting out, I would get up at four o'clock in the morning because I had to go out and see clients in those days. And that was the only time I could get up and do a video and then get out of my house, you know, by like eight, nine o'clock to go see clients. But I was so hell bent on doing it that I would I was going to do whatever it takes because I was I just I had so much passion. I, I was dying. I was I was like you said, Hector, I was like it was almost like an addiction unto itself. Like I wanted to pump out videos. I loved doing it and I loved the result that it got me, especially when I started to learn that they were actually really helping people. And when when I got one of the first comments I ever got on one of the first blogs I ever created, it was a guy who wrote a comment on a, the post I did about how to record NSF checks. And he writes something like, I've had five interns in here who couldn't figure out how to do this. I watched your video and learned in five minutes, right? But going back to the question of how I stay humble, I remind myself that the success I experience is, is never entirely my own. It, it comes with a lot of help and a lot of what I refer to as divine inspiration. And in many ways, our customers that support us financially help us through this as well, right? Isn't mm -hmm. it? Um, and the point I wanted to make, Seth, I wanted to make sure, and I, I lo love that story, and I love the... Uh, AA stuff mixed into it because I think there's just so much learning and it's not, not an insight that I, I was aware about is, um, you know, you've been sober for 20 years. I'm sure the folks that are just starting this process of becoming sober look at you and say, how do you do it? You know, you have this special skill. You, you, you're, you're special. I am not, you know, and, and, and the short answer is, hey, it takes practice for you to see it in a different perspective, which is, Hey, it's not because most, I think most AA people start taking one day at a time, which means that every day you decide not to drink and you have evolved to a different level, which is you have in your mind, a drink is not something that is something you even have to think about or combat. It's just something you don't do. Just like we don't, every day we don't decide not to throw ourselves off a cliff. We don't have to decide that, right? We don't have to, it's just completely outside of our, of, of our spectrum of thought, right? So, yeah. but the, the point I'm trying to make is that no one is special or smart. You know, what you and I do has nothing to do with smarts. It has to do with practice. It's just practice. Mm -hmm. And and for the folks who are saying, well, I don't know how to teach. I wasn't born to do public speaking. Start a podcast with a friend. Don't worry if you have no audience. You have to speak a thousand words before you, you feel com comfortable doing an actual podcast that you use to market yourself. You have to make a thousand videos before you feel comfortable, before you output that video that goes to that client. You almost have to make 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 sales presentations before you get really good at selling your services, right? I mean, I think that's the point is that yeah. people, a lot of people don't value the process. And Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot, like fall in love with the process, fall in love with your dedication, fall in love do it over and over and over. Don't worry about what it looks like now. Once you do it 100 times, 20 times, 200 times, it will look better. That's the point I want to make. And I wonder if you feel the same way, that you just want to tell those people, hey, you don't need to connect my brain or have my brain. Just like get off your butt and even to even think that you can connect the brain to another and just practice and you will get good at it. Anybody can by practicing. Yep. 
And by the way, if you look up the word practice in the dictionary, because I have, because it's actually in the 12th step of the 12 steps, it says we practice these principles in all of our affairs. So I actually looked up the word practice because A, I learned that even though I think I have a pretty good command of the English language, I don't know everything. And if you look up the word practice, one of the definitions is to do something over and over again, right? And so it's true. And that's why professional athletes go to practice. They practice every single day right? Because that's the only way you're going to get better. And if you do something repetitively, you're going to get better at it. And obviously it should follow that you love doing it. You enjoy doing it, right? Because then, then it's not a burden to go practice. You can't wait to do it, right? If you really love what you're doing. And if you don't really love what you're doing so that you can't wait to do it, then figure out what that thing is and do that. Because that's how you should be spending your life is doing what you absolutely love to do. Figure out how to make money doing it afterwards. But it's, it's, it's Gary Vaynerchuk says stuff like this all the time. You're wasting your life if you're not getting up and doing something you absolutely love to get up and go do every day. But I want to tie something else you said, Hector, back to something I was talking about earlier going and, and it still falls in line with the idea of practice and doing something repetitively. So I mentioned I'm in. Um, What's it called? I'm in uh, I'm in Mike Dillard's list grow course is what it's called. And so I've gotten to the point in the course where he talks about how to write your your sales letter. And that's going to become your video sales letter that you're going to do as part of your marketing funnel. And he gives examples of sales letters that he's written that have helped him make north of 60 million dollars. You know, like he, he gives you an example of one of these sales letters um, that just it follows a certain format and structure. And it's done very well for him. And then he gives the instruction. And when I got this instruction, I'm like, oh, fuck, because I really just want to hustle and get this content out there as quickly as possible because I'm anxious. But his instruction was that he wants you to handwrite this sales letter. And I have to go back and review it. I think he wants you to do it more than once because he explains that doing that will get the kind of language that he's using ingrained in your head. And it's a different process when you're handwriting. I would love to just type the stuff up. But the thing is, if I'm going to invest in something like this and learn from someone like him, one thing I learned in, in my recovery process is to take direction. So when somebody says, I need you to do this and I need you to do it this exact way, there's no latitude in that. I'm going to do exactly what he says. So one Saturday, pretty soon when I have the course done, I'm going to probably go to a library and get a notebook and just write. You know, I'm just going to do it because I want to, I want what he has. I want to, I want to make $50 million, right? Like this guy has. And, and I want the kind of comfort and lifestyle that will come with that. And most importantly though, and I was reminded of this watching a video from the traffic and funnel guys this morning. Um, I want to be able to have one thing that one of the things that the money does, no, it can't buy you happiness. But one of the things that the money does is it puts you in a position where you can influence and help a lot more other people, right? It's a resource. And yes, of course, I want the comfort. I want the comfort of knowing I'll never have to worry about how I'm going to pay my bills ever again, or, or how I'm going to, I want to never have to worry about cash flow or that kind of thing. But then what, what will come with that my, is my hope is the freedom that I'll be able to help even more people, right? And that's really the name of the game. And I think when you're doing it, Hector, earlier you talked about, um, you know, having the right motivation. If you're doing it, if your motivation is to make money, you're dead, stop, just go home, right? But if your motivation is truly to help others and it's genuine and sincere and it comes from the heart, I think there's no way you can fail. Yeah, and I think you guys, that's one of the things that both of you guys have in spades is this desire to help people um, and this ability to to bring people together and bring people up, um, and that that um, 
that exuberance, that excitement, that energy that you not only have yourselves, but that you're able to pass on to other people and have that energy continue to grow and expand upon itself is I think a big part of why you guys have become such massive celebrities is, is the way that you are able to connect with people and share with them. You know, you have all these fans. We're talking about, I wish I a massive in Serbia. I'm the biggest one in Serbia. In Serbia. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's you, you are, you're connecting with those people and you're, they're, they're asking to share your brain, but you are sharing their brain. They have a piece of their, your brain with them. Um, and as a part of them. Mm -hmm. So Seth, we went over way after an hour, whenever you respect for your time, it's probably date night right <laughs> now. And we're cutting off uh, part of your date night. Um, is my wife is very upset with me. Yeah, yeah. My wife is upset with me every Friday, but that's okay. Um, for, you know, it's funny you talk about Sunday nights. Sunday nights are my favorite time. Like most people dread Sunday nights. I love Sunday nights because I know my kids are going to school the next day. That's, that's you know, so then I, because Monday morning I have, I have time to produce and create and get back into, you know, get back to doing what I love. Not that I don't love hanging out with my kids, but for productivity purposes, I love uh, Sunday nights. But Friday nights, my wife is not really happy about it because basically we start off the weekend with me having a one hour nerd session with my, with my Facebook friends. Mm -hmm. But Seth, um, I'd like to thank you for coming on. You, you can come in at any time uh, that you want. Just, just let us know. I continue to learn a lot from you. And if you have any last words you wanted to add or Andrew, I think it's a good time to wrap it up. Yeah. So, I mean, look, just kind of recapping a lot of the stuff we talked about. I think if uh, if you're watching this out there and you're thinking about, like, should I do videos? Do I want to do videos? Do I want to do content? Just do it. Just do it. And, and don't worry, your first video is going to be crap. It's going to be horrible. When I look back at my oldest videos that are on YouTube now and Hector made me do it tonight, he was curious about my oldest videos. So I was looking back at some of those. And I'm like, oh, man, like I'm almost tempted to delete them. But I don't because you know what? It's part of my journey. Right. And so there's nothing to be ashamed of. And, you know, so you're going to put some videos out there. They're going to be crap. Um, you know, you were talking, Hector, about sometimes how if you get bad feedback, you're going to get grumpy when you're doing your next video. One of the funniest things I think that I ever did. Remember, I used to do my videos at four o'clock in the morning. And this one morning I was recording and I was just on the heels of reading some negative comments on my YouTube videos about how I go too fast. And so I, I and it was fresh on my mind as I'm recording. And I realized I went through. Uh, in QuickBooks desktop, clicking banking and make deposits. And I did it really fast. So I said, oh, wait a minute. People have been complaining in the comments that I go too fast. Hold on. Let me slow this down for you. And I said, banking, <laughs> deposits. And I just made fun of it. And that, that 30 second clip in that video or whatever it ended up being got one guy so angry. He just went off on what an arrogant prick I was. And I was cracking up laughing. So don't worry, you're going to get the negative feedback, but just do it. Because like Hector talked about, the more you do it, the better you'll get. But more importantly, the more comfortable you'll get. You'll stop being so nervous because now when I and I love doing the Friday hour Zooms because you know what it does for me when I have to go teach for an hour at Santa Monica College or even three hours. It's, it's just another it's just another session I'm doing teaching something. I'm so used to it and so comfortable with it. I really, I always get a nervous stomach a little bit before I do something, but as soon as I get going, that's gone and I'm good. And Mariette just chimed back and she's like, you're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mariette left and came back. Yeah. If you give us, if you give us freeway, 
or if you give us, you know, if you give us the, you the give us a, a, talk, an inch, we'll take a mile. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, yeah. take it home. Yeah, thank you, Seth, for, for joining us. It was a great episode. I think, you know, the, the thing I want to close on is that, you know, so many people are talking about all these changes going on. And, you know, change is something that is inevitable. Um, but how we choose to adapt to that change um, and to transform through that change is certainly optional and up to us. And the only way to move forward and to be a better you is to get out there, to expose yourself uh, to new and exciting things, to try things, and to continue to practice, as you said, Seth, and to continue to get better and evolve every day and try new things. And that's what our community is all about. And thank you to, to both of you guys for being leaders for so long in this industry, helping to lift so many of our chins up, give us that inspiration that we need, you know, when we're having those down days, because we all have them. We all have those days where we need a little bit of extra motivation, a little bit of extra energy. And the help and support that you've done has been uh, amazing to me and amazing to so many other people in this community. So thank you to uh, to both of you. And thank you to everyone. You know, we've got 22 people who have stuck with us. You know, we talked about earlier about how many people drop off after that 30 seconds. We still got 21 people who watched us start to finish on this episode. So again, I think that's a little bit of kudos to, to you two gentlemen um, and how uh, amazing and inspiring you are to our community. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you both. Thank you. And I'll come back Let anytime. Just let me know. Oh, awesome. Be careful you know, what you say. You might just get asked back. I'll, just, <laughs> I'll come back every week. I'll just be another host for you guys. Bye -bye. There we go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, bye. guys. Bye.